It's my privilege today to get to introduce to you Brett Alderman. I guess I was thinking this morning, it was about 15 years ago, I think, when I was first introduced to Brett. It's shortly after I left IBC, uh, Martinsburg area, and we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and I still had a house to sell. And it sat on the market, and it sat on the market, and it didn't sell. And finally, uh, Pastor Mark Johnson from IBC gave me a call and said, hey, we got this new guy coming who's going to be leading music. Can he live in your house for a little bit? And I said, well, what's his name? He says, it's Brett Alderman. Well, I knew Greg Alderman, and that scared me a little bit. But I said, sure. So they moved into our house, and as soon as they moved into your, my house, it sold. So I was so grateful that they moved into my house so it would sell. <laughs> that was my first introduction to him. I actually met his wife first. She still is, uh, is working in the office at IBC. He, is, he worked there for a number of years and has moved on as the Lord has moved him into Capital Commission. You're going to hear about that ministry. Uh, I invite you to the platform this morning and looking forward to what God has laid on his heart to share with us. There will be a meditation to prepare our hearts and then, uh, and then we'll turn things over to Brett. Good to have you. Appreciate it. Good morning. Everett just brought back a, that was a vivid memory there, brother. Moving twice in 30 days. That, that, that worked out real well. <laughs> but we did appreciate the house for the time that we were in there. So thank you, brother. That was about the time that uh, Pastor Van was coming over here. And I believe he came a little earlier than, than we uh, moved to IBC. That was 1997 when we came to IBC to lead the music. And uh, I'd like this morning just to um, walk you through a little bit about how the Lord's been leading us, how he took us from that ministry into another ministry. And I really appreciate the kind invitation that Pastor Van has given me this morning to share with you. It's always good to be with uh, like-minded folks, and we know that uh, the, the relationship down through the years between Fellowship Bible Church and Independent Bible Church has been strong, and we appreciate the ministry over here in Jefferson County. God bless you all as you continue to uh, be a light in this area. Capital Commission is a ministry to the political community. I love politicians. How, how many people have you heard say that lately? <laughs> love them. I do love them. And Capital Commission Maryland is a ministry that is a part of a national group of uh, 18 other states. We make disciples within the political community. And I'd like just to uh, give you a thumbnail sketch of our ministry as we start. And then I would like for us to take a look at a passage of scripture that has been very meaningful to me because it's been a real parallel between uh, what actually happened in uh, the first century uh, in the book of Acts, and some of the things that I've been experiencing as a missionary in the 21st century. And it's very interesting, some of the parallels there, and it's been a very meaningful passage of Scripture we'll look at in a moment. Capital Commission is in 18 states uh, right now, and uh, we're grateful for that. The Lord is bringing other men to us as we move along, but uh, right now we have state directors in 18 states. I am the state director in Maryland, and as you look down through this slide, you can see some of the distinctives of our ministry. Uh, this is um, a ministry that we have in state capitals to the state level of, uh, of officials in all three branches of government. It's a ministry of evangelism and discipleship where we uh, meet with 
individual legislators and, and, uh, and state leaders um, as groups or one-on-one -on -one with uh, counseling and witnessing as we're able to do that and as their uh, schedules allow and their uh, opportunities for allowing us into their lives develop. We have an expository approach to the scriptures in which we just go verse by verse during the session, in, which in Maryland is a 90-day session from January through April. We have weekly Bible studies available for the folks there and uh, for staffers as well as, uh, as elected officials. And we move verse by verse through. Right now we're in the book of John, and uh, we just don't skip over any of the hard stuff. You know, we just we talk about it all, and we know that it all, all comes uh, God-breathed, and we want to cover uh, the whole counsel of God. So we're not jumping around topically. We really do want to move verse by verse and take a look at what it is in those passages that apply directly to our situation. It's very interesting when you go through a passage of Scripture with folks who are governmental leaders and try to think through the filter of what does this passage look like in application in their sphere of influence. They can go back to their churches back in their districts and their preachers can speak like this in very general terms about application, right? But if we sit together as folks in a, in a, in a room... Eight, ten, twelve people just looking at the scriptures and saying, what does this look like in the political community? You come up with some very interesting discussions. What does humility look like? What does love look like? What does forgiveness look like when you're a politician? It's a whole other level of thinking that I wasn't ready for, that I hadn't done before, before we went into this ministry. So we want to rightly divide the word for these folks and talk about what it is that uh, in their lives, the Word of God speaks to directly. We want to have Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals, independents, all feel like they are welcome to come to these studies. We're nonpartisan in any way. We don't want to uh, identify ourselves any particular way. We want to be available and have all in the capital community feel welcome to, uh, to call on me or be available when I come by for a visit or for our Bible studies, whatever the, the level of touch may be, we really want them to be um, uh, welcoming to that. So really we don't talk much about politics. There are political issues that come up in the scriptures, right? We'll talk about that. But as far as my opinion on issues and going in and trying to change their mind on something, that's not what I'm there for. We want to take the gospel to these leaders. We believe that America's problem is a problem of the heart, not necessarily of our laws. And uh, if we can see God change hearts one at a time through the powerful gospel of Jesus, then we believe that we're following what the church has been called to do. We have a mission as a church to everyone in our communities, right? And how often have we just forgotten about those who lead us in our government? Let me tell you real quick about us personally in Maryland with Capital Commission. We have been uh, uh, there since uh, 2008, so this isn't a very uh, old ministry uh, time-wise, but we're wanting to be faithful. We've given the Lord the rest of our lives to this ministry to see a movement for Christ in the political community in Maryland. Right now, uh, we're still building a lot of relationships, getting this thing off the ground. You can imagine, a lot of folks to meet. Uh, there's 188 legislators, for example, in Maryland. 
There are constitutional officers in the executive branch. There are judicial officers, uh, many of whom we've not met yet, and staff. So thousands of people, when you add staffers to this, that uh, not just in Annapolis, but, but through the whole state of Maryland, that are governmental leaders that we want to touch with the gospel of Christ. So right now we are kind of focused in Annapolis. I did say that we uh, do start in state capitals. But as I said, they only have a 90-day session. So right now, not a lot of folks are in Annapolis. They're more spread around the state. And we're enjoying getting together with a lot of these leaders uh, individually, just going to have coffee with them back in their districts or breakfast or lunch or meeting them at their office, whatever's most convenient, and spending time with them to talk about the more important things in life, not just sitting around talk about politics. Now, I enjoy politics and history and government and all that stuff, and I kind of get you know, addicted to some of the newspapers and TV channels and stuff like that, keeping up with all the things that are happening politically. And I enjoy that, but uh, that's not what I'm there to talk with them about. We want to talk about the things of the Lord and talk about their journey and where they are. Um, and it's very fascinating, just person by person. You know what it's like. Everyone's different. Everyone's on a path. And these leaders are just like you and me, just people who need the Lord and face the same kind of struggles that we face day to day. We have prayer ministry and this uh, Bible study that, that continues in the Capitol. Um, I like to have a study continuing through the rest of the year during the interim with the staffers when we uh, are out of the session. Uh, this year we're not able to do that because there's some asbestos removal going on in the buildings down there. So they've moved everything out of the buildings, uh, in the house office building anyway, where we used to meet. And uh, I'm not sure when they're going to be back in that building. I'll, I'll try to keep track of that. But right now we're not even able to get in there for uh, Bible studies in the same room. But I still write Bible study notes, send those out by email, and check up with our friends by phone and by email. And it's great to continue to have a presence in the lives of these dear uh, staffers and, uh, and uh, uh, political leaders. Through our networking, we're still trying to... Uh, have good contact with pastors and churches and believers throughout the state and in other states to let uh, folks know what we're doing. So we're just now getting on the radar of a lot of people who just had no idea that we were out there. So praise the Lord for a long list of folks that uh, we have to, to uh, call and chase down and try to get, uh, try to get good, good uh, meetings with. And we look forward to, uh, to continuing to do that. Last week was full of meetings, this week coming up. Uh, a lot of these legislators, once they get out of the session in April, they've um, got some traveling that they do and uh, a lot of reporting that they give to uh, groups in their communities. Uh, but uh, the dust is starting to settle a little bit right now, so we're able to, uh, to get out into their districts and meet a little bit more with them one-on-one. -on -one. But sharing this vision with churches and with pastors, we covet uh, opportunities to do that in, in uh, services like this or smaller groups, men's groups. Uh, wherever, we're, uh, wherever we're invited to come to share, we, we love doing that. We're developing resources also at this time and prayer support as we move along in this ministry. Uh, we are considered missionaries, and um, I'll be very frank with you. We, uh, we would love to do more in our ministry in Maryland if we had more funding to do that. Right now, we're probably at around 60% of where we uh, want to be as far as our budget and we are seeking financial partners to join us and pray, first of all, for the salvation and the discipleship 
of these leaders in Maryland, and, uh, and then also for, uh, for the Lord to provide more as far as uh, funding resources go to make, this, uh, to make this ministry happen. So we're trusting the Lord. He's given us a great financial team already with folks, uh, individuals, and churches that are joining with us. But uh, what a blessing it is when others come and, and join that team. So I would ask for you to pray, pray about that. And uh, boy, what a, what a blessing it would be to have individuals even in this room or Fellowship Bible Church to, to join with us. You know, Maryland is uh, it's just over the river there, you know. It's not too far away. It's kind of your Jerusalem in the same way that uh, Jesus uh, wanted his disciples to move out uh, in concentric circles. Um, the things that happen in Annapolis, they affect what happens here in the Panhandle, sometimes more than what decisions are made in Charleston. So uh, that's, our community is very close there to these, uh, to these folks in, in, uh, just, over the, just over the river. So uh, if you pray for that and, uh, and keep us in mind as, as you um, go uh, away from here this morning, I uh, would like for you to stop by our table. I invite you to go by there, and there you'll find... Uh, a uh, big map of, or a big uh, flag, I'm sorry, a big flag of Maryland on that table. And uh, you can uh, take a look at the things that are on there, a, a brochure and a prayer card, business card, ways for you to get in touch with me in the future if you'd like. And there's also a way for you to uh, let me know how to get in touch with you. Please pick up the pen, get the sign-up form, which has uh, opportunity there for you to put your physical address if you'd like to get our prayer letter or uh, put your email address, because I send out email updates uh, at least once a month, an official uh, formal email update, but there are also times through the month where we send uh, prayer needs that come up through the month, and I'd love to keep in touch with you that way as well. If I walked out of here with a bunch of names and addresses, that would be exciting today. So uh, please stop by the table and uh, familiarize yourself more with, uh, with what we do as a ministry at Capital Commission. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about uh, how we made the transition into this as we move through our passage today. So if you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 13, Acts 13, which to me is a very exciting passage of Scripture. I love Acts 13. Man, this is an exciting story. I mean, if you go to the movies and you just like to see exciting stories up on the screen, Acts 13, there's some really amazing things that are happening. There are precedent-setting things that are happening. We're seeing the first missionary sent out from a church. That's pretty exciting. It's the first time this happened. was at the beginning of this chapter. We see some strategies that happen as a result of that. We see conflict as there's opposition to the gospel. And we see the first named convert of the Apostle Paul, and it was a politician. A politician got saved. We think about that. Well, let's read it together. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they, the church, sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. 
And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bargesus, who was with the proconsul, or governor, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you should be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Fathers, we come to this passage of Scripture. We come... Expectantly, we come confidently, knowing that this is your very word. We come trembling, knowing that any time we open your word, it is a serious thing. Help us never take it for granted. Help us never take it lightly. Teach us today through these verses. Show us more of yourself. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Help us to be good students of your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Little disclaimer, there's 11 points this morning. Okay? Hang in there. We're not going to spend a lot of time on each one. Okay? But there are some things in here I just want us to see, and it's exciting. As we see missions from local churches spring up and start right here in Acts 13 from Antioch Bible Church, or whatever they called it. First thing we see here is that a staff member was sent from the local church. Do you see that? There's several men here listed that were ministering in Antioch at that time. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, a guy named Saul at the end of the list. But a staff member sent from a local church early in this passage is something that sets a precedent. You know what? Sometimes God calls staff members to go into other ministries. And that's what happened to us. I had studied in my undergraduate and in my seminary time and got music degrees. And then I ended up at IBC for 11 and a half years. Leading the music. It's kind of all I knew, you know. And that's what we did. We loved it. For some reason, known only to God, we just had to follow when he started moving in our hearts. You know, pastors stand in front of you often and tell you to be available. We do that, don't we? You ever heard a pastor say that? Be available to God to move your heart. Sometimes, when you preach that... God starts working on your own heart. And that's what happened to us. And the, and the uh, state director for Capital Commission, uh, his name's Tim Polly, 
uh, in West Virginia, came to IBC and shared a devotional at a July 4th picnic one year. Now, I'd gone to ABC with Tim, so I knew um, Tim and Beth and their family. I believe he's been here to, uh, to speak in the past. But uh, heard about this ministry, looked at the information that Tim brought with him, and I thought, you know what, this is a good idea. Going to our leaders with the word of God rather than trying to go to unbelieving lawmakers and try to moralize them to vote the way I want them to vote and walk away not caring for their soul one bit, only caring if they put through the law that I want us to have. This looked pretty good, taking the word of God to these people to see hearts changed rather than just trying to change their mind or get them to have the law passed that in my own opinion, we need it as a, as a society. So I started looking at this stuff, and I said, this might be something we can contribute to. And the Holy Spirit of God started to work on our lives, even though we were a staff member at a church doing music. All of a sudden, God started to work on my mind, saying, you know what, you need to, you need to start getting into the lives of some leaders. Take the word to them. Live Christ in front of them. Confront them with the need that they have for Jesus in their life. And that's what happened. And as a staff member, just like Barnabas and Saul here, were staffers at this church and were sent out by this church, that's what happened to me and uh, my wife Tracy. Entering missions. Didn't know that was going to happen. Pretty amazing. In these verses 2, 4, and 9, we see that the Holy Spirit is integrally involved in this passage. He's the one that calls out these men in the first place. The Holy Spirit is the one that speaks to the church to send out these folks as missionaries. And even empowering these missionaries once they got into the heat of battle and sharing the gospel down in verse 9. We see the Holy Spirit all through this chapter. And I already told you that, you know, we really felt the Spirit moving us in this whole idea of going from music into a missions effort, sharing the gospel as missionaries. What a, what a strange thing. But it was the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. Friends, if you feel the Holy Spirit telling you something, speaking to you about something, tugging your heart towards something, you don't want to be in the place 10, 12 years down the road Wondering if you should have listened more. If you hear him in your mind and in your heart pulling you towards something, pursue it. It may not work out. You don't know exactly where things are headed, but it may. And as I called these folks at Capital Commission and they took a look at us and we kicked the tires a little bit, there was a lot of things we needed to figure out to see if we were a good fit. And it took a couple of years to find out that we were. But the Holy Spirit was leading through all of that. And an undercurrent of this whole passage is the Spirit of God working in the hearts of people to call out missionaries out of a church, to call the church to send out those missionaries and for the empowerment for ministry to happen once they were out on the field. You know, they say that Spurgeon used to have to go up 15 steps to get to his pulpit. Have you seen these churches where they have the big pulpit off to the side and the big circular stairwell that goes up to that pulpit where they would preach from way up off the ground? You know, and 15 steps he would go up and he would, on every step, pray 
and say to himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And he would go up those steps and say that on every step. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So the next time I got back to Annapolis, I thought, wouldn't it be so cool? I'm standing in front of the Capitol building, and I'm looking at those steps going up. Wouldn't it be awesome if I could have the same number of steps that Spurgeon had going up to his pulpit, and I could just walk up these steps, and I could pray the same prayer, the same number of times, like there was some kind of magic thing to 15. So I started. I took the first step. And I started counting the steps as I went up. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Believe in the Holy Spirit. And you know how many steps there are? 22. (laughs) So I guess I need to pray that prayer more than Spurgeon did. So uh, that's good. That's fine. And I do need to be reminded as I'm in Annapolis that I need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. We all need that reminder. Well, the third thing here is we see the message that these men were bringing. They were sticking to evangelism and discipleship. You see that in verse 5? They preached when they arrived in Salamis. They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They preached the word of God. Now, friends, we live in America. It's a great thing. We have access to our leaders. That's also a great thing. But when the only thing the church communicates to its leaders is how we want them to vote, we've not done what we've been called to do as a church. The Word of God is our message. The Great Commission, as we'll see in a moment, is our impetus. It's our game plan. We don't have to come up with another game plan. Yeah, we look around and we see a society that we're very discouraged about. We're concerned about our nation. We're concerned about the morality. The Word of God is our message. Being involved in the political process is not wrong. Expressing what we believe to our leaders is not wrong. But I guarantee you, as Paul and Barnabas moved into this island of Cyprus and went from town to town, they saw... A society that was degenerate, just like ours is. There were temples to fertility goddesses, just like there were in other towns that they would visit later. Gross immorality, even in those settings with temple prostitutes and sexual rituals. They didn't shake their head and walk away from that mad at the world for acting like the world. They didn't jump on people immediately for trying to bring about societal change. They preached the word of God. I believe that's a significant phrase here. They went to the synagogues and taught the word of God. Matthew 28, will you turn there just very quickly? I know just about every missionary that comes through has us turn to Matthew 28. But these are important verses we just need to be reminded of. just mentioned the Great Commission a few moments ago. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We don't need a committee to get together to try to figure out a better way to impact our world. This is what the church has been called to. This is our message. And this is what Paul and Barnabas stuck to, evangelism and discipleship. I'm reminded of one other thing as I look at verse 5 here. It says that these men got off the boat there at a place called Salamis, and they, in verse 6, had gone through the island to Paphos, which is the capital, was the capital city of Cyprus. So they ended up doing some capital ministry at the same time there, right? But they just moved across that island, and I'm just reminded that spreading the gospel geographically really is even something we would like to see happen in Maryland. We do start with state leaders, and we do spend some time in Annapolis more than uh, some other parts of the state. But we, we really would love to see ministry happen through churches locally, even to local leaders. And that could blanket the whole state. It would be great if God would grant favor so that we could have ministry to our leaders on all levels, federal, state, and local, coming from this movement for Christ in the political community in Maryland. So instead of saying we go from Salamis to Paphos, we could say, you know, Ocean City to Oakland over there. What a, what a blessing that would be if we could blanket the state going across, just as these men did, starting on the east side and moving west on that island. Well, verse 7. Verse 7 says that there was a proconsul named Sergius Paulus that God had in the path of Paul and Barnabas to minister to, and this was a strategic ministry to politicians. Now, you've got to wonder, at least for a moment, why God even mentioned this whole story. Why did he start with this? Did nothing significant happen in Seleucia? Did nothing interesting happen ministry-wise between that place and Paphos along the way as they met with people? Did anybody else get saved? We've got to believe somebody did. Barnabas was from this island. He knew people. He knew where to go. But we really don't have a story with detail until we get over to Paphos and we see ministry to this politician. Why was there a strategic ministry to politicians? If you just flip over to Acts chapter 9, I think we get a little bit of a hint there. Acts chapter 9. Acts 9 is the account of Paul's conversion. You remember that story? Paul was an unbeliever who was killing Christians. And he was going toward Damascus to kill more. Do you remember that story? God showed up, struck him blind, knocked him down with light, and he had a little conversation with the Lord. And he was converted. He repented. His heart was changed. And he was given a ministry. And God spoke to a man named Ananias, who was in Damascus, a believer. Remember Ananias? God said, this man, Paul, is going to be coming to your house. This guy's been killing Christians. He's coming to your house, Christian. 
Ananias had a small problem with that, you can imagine. But in verse 15, God lets Ananias know why he wanted Paul to come to his house and to receive some help and what the mission was for Paul and his life. Verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. I'm confused by that verse. Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, to the sons of Israel. Who else is there? (laughs) You're Jewish or you're not Jewish, right? Who else is there? For some reason, he specifies political leaders in this verse. And that there should be, as a part of Paul's ministry, some kind of strategic plan to reach leaders. God has a heart for leaders. And as we look at this great commission in Matthew 28, we see that all nations are part of this plan. All people. There's nobody left out. People that we disagree with or people that make us mad or people that vote a different way than we vote. We don't, we don't walk away from them and not share with them. So we see here in the heart of God and in the plan even why he called Paul in the first place, that there is a tr- strategic ministry to politicians. It says here also that Sergius Paulus was an intelligent man. And I can tell you that, that this is a, a sharp group of people. You don't get elected unless you have some ambition, some drive, some brains, some problem-solving ability, some personality, some something to get people to agree to put you in that place of representation, right? Then many times I feel so inadequate walking into an office of some of these folks. I mean, they've got, they've got degrees from Harvard. They're lawyers. They sit around all day thinking of ways to prove people wrong. And i got to go in there and witness to this guy? You kidding me? Sergius Paulus was a man of intelligence. Now, there are obviously times when we watch the news or we read the papers and see the latest scandal and wonder, really, how intelligent can these people really be, right? How can you be in that kind of a public position that visible and think you can get away with whatever you're thinking about doing. Or not even thinking anymore, but you're doing it. It's amazing. How can they get away with such personal immorality or unreasonable, irrational public policy decisions? But, you know, even then, as Christians, how we respond to those scandals can say a lot about what we think about these folks. You can be a testimony to your circle of friends, because I know everybody's talking about this stuff. They're asking you what you think about it, right? Here's a chance to talk about how you really think things should be and what your testimony can be before your friends or maybe even to the politician himself. You have representatives that you have a way to get in contact with. 
If they get caught in something, you can be an encouragement to them. You've got access. You can send a note. You can make a call to that office. You can encourage that person. You can tell them the, the change that Jesus has made in your life and through repentance and turning from what is destroying their life, Jesus is the answer to that as well. I promise you that Anthony Weiner's problem is not Twitter. He needs Christ, as we all do. And sitting around and shaking our heads and passing judgment and getting angry or getting cynical is not the answer. And that's not why we are in this society as Christians. Well, let's move to number seven. Number seven, sound ministry reputation. I'm not talking about the guys that sit in the back there. We appreciate the sound ministry, but we're talking about sound ministry reputation where we want to have a good reputation in the capital community. It says here in, uh, in verse seven that, that Sergius Paulus summoned Paul and Barnabas to come speak to him. He wanted to hear what they were talking about. And we pray for that in Maryland as well, that as people hear about our ministry, in my name, and see me in the hallways, that there would be interest there, not isolation from our ministry. Well, in verse 8, something very uh, sinister starts to happen. I said this was a dramatic story. There's some interesting things start happening here in verse 8. But Elymas, this sorcerer, calls him here a false magician, a Jew, who somehow had attached himself to the governor, was part of his official uh, group of advisors, Elymas, the sorcerer, in verse 8, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So we clearly see here that Paul and Barnabas show up to share the gospel with Sergius Paulus, who has summoned them, and there's immediately opposition from the enemy. And I can tell you that that's going to happen. It's promised. It's promised to us in Scripture. If you have any experience at all sharing your faith out there in the world, you've gone through it as well. Anthistemi. Anthistemi. The Greek word there for opposition. It just sounds nasty. Anthistemi. Anthistemi. Anti. It's got anti written all over it. Opposition. You experienced this antithistomy? You gone through that? Opposition? For some reason, we as Christians get surprised when that happens. Right? When our Lord or the gospel or the Bible or our worldview are opposed in this world, it surprises us, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, we're in America. We've got constitutional rights. We believe are self-evident and come from the Creator Himself. But that doesn't mean that we will not be opposed when we love God and share His message in our society. In fact, opposition will prove that we're being faithful in sharing that message. So don't be discouraged by it. Embrace it. Expect it. When it doesn't happen to us, that's when we need to ask why. And this to me is not in my life. There's a problem. Should be normal in the every 
everyday life of a Christian in this world. One of the first times that I was walking, I said earlier that I write Bible study notes that go along with our Bible studies we do with these legislators, and I hand-deliver during session, hand-deliver these notes to each office there uh, for the General Assembly. And I happened to have my daughter with me this one day. We were going through, and I was passing out notes, and I handed the notes to the aide of uh, a senator there in Annapolis, and told her what we did, introduced myself, hello, very, you know, smiling, I you know, don't think I smelled or anything. I mean, did everything I could not to offend. But you know what? She got offended. She let me know about it. Uh, verbally. And not real happy. And I got my 10-year-old standing beside me. And we walked out of that office. And there was a couch there in the hallway. And I could tell my little girl didn't like hearing that. You know, you don't want somebody talking to your dad that way. You know, he's there to share Jesus. He's not there to hurt anybody. But it gave me a great chance to sit down with her and have a teachable moment. And we talked about that a little bit. And I said, you know what? We need to pray for that girl. And we know her name. Let's pray for her and pray for her even more and love her even more. Because you can see what it's like when, when somebody just rejects and is rebellious to having Jesus in their life. We don't walk away mad. We walk away loving even more. And we want to be able to have inroads into that senator's life too. He's an openly gay senator. We want to be able to get to know him. Let him know why we're there. Let him know that there is hope and life and forgiveness in Jesus. Good teachable moment. It was a good teachable moment for me too. The capital community in Annapolis is a dark place. And our enemy is busy there. Well, what does Paul do in response to the evil? In response to this opposition, he stands up to that evil. Do you see that? Starting in verse 8. Verse 9, I'm sorry. Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at this guy who had placed himself between Paul and the governor, not letting him get to him with the gospel. Paul didn't take to that well. You know, anytime Paul gets really mad, it's because the gospel can't go forward. He's not mad at the sin in the person's life necessarily. He's not trying to get them to just clean up before God. He wants to share his message. If somebody's getting in the way of that, if there's an obstacle to that, take him off. Here's what he said. O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. He really built a relationship there first, didn't he? Took the time to grease the wheels a little to get his message through. No. Paul went right after him and stood up. To the evil. Now, there's ways to do that. There's ways not to do that in our world. We can oppose evil. We can go back up against the opposition and we can be just as obnoxious as the person who created the opposition. We don't want to do that. And the point here in this passage, I believe, is that there is an appropriate way to speak up for righteousness in our world and to... Stand up to that which we know 
is evil and those who are hostile to the message. And I would just encourage you to pray for wisdom and how to deal with people like that. You're probably not going to be able to pray for the ability to strike them blind, for example. I don't think God's going to trust me with that ability anyway. But there is appropriate standing up for Christ and for the gospel and speaking righteousness in our world. It's done in a loving way. Sometimes it needs to be done firmly, but we don't need to back away from that and show so much love and so much grace and so much forgiveness that we just end up being ineffective in even standing up for what needs to be said to somebody firmly. Still do that with love. Verse 12 is a fantastic way to end this passage. There's a solid doctrinal foundation here. Do you see that? Verse 12. The proconsul, go to the end of the verse. The proconsul was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The word of God, the message that Paul and Barnabas had from the beginning of this thing was what got through to the heart of this governor. Solid doctrinal foundation. Doctrine, I don't know if you've noticed this or not in our world, doctrine's not a positive word in America. Doctrine is not even a positive word in many churches in America. How can you be so arrogant to say that you know what God is saying in his book. You're so sure. You're so confident. Doctrine. Sound doctrine. That is taken from the most logical reading of the scriptures, which are authored by God himself, It's the foundation for any ministry. Solid doctrine is what happened here in this passage, heard by the governor, moved in his heart, and he believed. He was, it says here, astonished. That's an amazing word. He was astonished at the word of God. That word means to strike out, to hit something so hard that it just blows it out, blows out the air. His unbelief was just knocked out of him when he saw this truth in the Word of God. And the Spirit of God took that Word and went deep into his heart, and he believed. September 1st, 2009, there was a celebration of Ramadan at the White House. And our president quoted Muhammad Ali, that great theologian. He said this, And listen, when our president says things like this, people believe it. The undiscerning heart out there that's just reading the paper or watching the news, if our president says it, must be right. This was his quote. Rivers, ponds, lakes, and streams. They all have different names. But they all contain water. Okay. 
just as religions do, they all contain truth. The doctrine that our world needs to hear is 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. They need to hear John 10.9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. If our world hears that and gets taste buds for that truth, this stuff about water and religions and everybody's got a little bit of truth, so follow whatever you want to, goes out the window. And people need to hear the truth. That's why we're here, to share that message. The governor was amazed at the Word of God, and it literally struck him with amazement. And the last thing we see here is the salvation of this governmental leader. At the beginning of verse 12, the proconsul believed. Love that verse. And the church is commanded to take spiritual care of our governmental leaders. Will you turn to 1 Timothy, just very quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2. Beginning of the chapter. Look at these verses very carefully. If there, is a, if there is a keystone passage, a cornerstone passage for why we should have ministries like Capital Commission, it's right here. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, evangelism, and come to a knowledge of the truth, discipleship. And right there in the middle of that passage, specified for us kings and all those who are in authority. God has a heart for these folks. And we cannot just look at C-SPAN and just shake our head and move to the next channel and not care about where these folks are going to spend eternity. The church has failed them. We need to include them in our Great Commission thinking. You can have a part in that by supporting groups like Capital Commission or writing an email or a card, letting these folks know that you pray for them, send a track, thank them for their service even though their politics may make your blood boil? Make an appointment. Go to their office. If you are in the... If you're a constituent of one of these folks in their districts, you've got inroads that many times a state director from Capital Commission won't have. They will listen to those who vote for them or who vote in their district. You can tell them as well as I can the change that Christ has made in your life, that He is the only hope for our state and our country. Send cookies. Express love somehow to these folks. Can I tell you that 99.9% of the people who come into their lives want something from them. When you show up saying, I don't want anything from you. I want to thank you. 
I want to give you something here for Christmas. Here's, here's a book that, that helped me. I pray it'll help you. And not just stop there. Do it. Quarterly. Take them to lunch when they're back here in, the, in Jefferson County. You can do that. Let them know that you know that they are a soul who will stand before Jesus someday. Give an account for what they did with him. When they stand before God, he's not going to go through their voting record. Okay? He's going to ask them, what did you do with my son Jesus? I want to read something very quickly here. It's from John Piper. I think it really speaks to what we're talking about this morning as American citizens and what our posture should be toward our government. American culture does not belong to Christians, neither in reality nor in biblical theology. It never has. The present tailspin towards Sodom is not a fall from Christian ownership. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, says in 1 John chapter 5. It has since the fall, and it will till Christ comes in open triumph. God's rightful ownership will be manifested in due time. But Christian exiles are not passive. He's calling us Christian exiles because our citizenship is somewhere else first, isn't it? We're citizens of heaven if we follow Christ. So we're Christian exiles while we're here in this earth. Christian exiles are not passive. We do not smirk at the misery or the merrymaking of an immoral culture. We weep, or we should. This is my main point. Being exiles does not mean being cynical, does not, being, does not mean being indifferent or uninvolved. The salt of the earth does not mock rotting meat. Where it can, it saves and seasons. Where it can't, it weeps. And the light of the world does not withdraw, saying good riddance to godless darkness. It labors to illuminate, but not dominate. Being Christian exiles in American culture does not end our influence. It takes the swagger out of it. We don't get cranky that our country has been taken away. We don't whine about the triumphs of evil. We're not hardened with anger. We understand. This is not new. This was the way it was in the beginning. Antioch, Corinth, Athens, Rome. The empire was not just degenerate, it was deadly. For three explosive centuries, Christians paid for their Christ-exalting joy with blood. Many still do. More will. Yes, it was a time for influence, as it is now. But not with huffing and puffing, as if to reclaim our lost laws. Rather, with tears and persuasion and perseverance, knowing that the folly of racism, the exploitation of the poor, the de-godding of education, the horror of abortion, and the collapse of the heterosexual marriage, the tragic death tremors of joy, 
not the victory of the left or the right. The greatness of Christian exiles is not worldly success, but service. Whether we win or lose, we witness to the way of life, of truth and beauty and joy. We don't own culture, and we don't rule it. We serve it with a broken-hearted joy and long-suffering mercy for the good of man and the glory of Jesus Christ. That is not what you will hear from many Christians in America today. For many Christians in America, they believe that the beginning and ending of their relationship with their leaders is to let them know how they feel about legislation, and sometimes not very kindly. And that's the end of it. I hope you can see from this passage today that God cares about leaders, their souls, and that we've been commanded to pray for them and take care for them as a church in this age. As we wrap up this morning, I just want to give you a couple more slides here for some information and encourage you to lock in with our ministry. We want you to be a part of what we're doing. We want to be an encouragement to you in the place where God has placed you for ministry. And we want to keep you updated on what's happening with not just what's happening in Maryland with Capital Commission, but through the entire nation. Our website is www.capitalcom.org. You can go there. All that information is back on the table. Uh, I have a blog that I write uh, occasionally, the Paphos Paradigm. Where'd that come from? Well, Cyprus. There's a paradigm here that we need to take the gospel to our leaders. So the Paphos Paradigm, uh, there's the address for that uh, and then I also have a prayer blog, which is a daily reminder. You can sign up for this to get sent to you automatically. A daily reminder to be praying for the leaders of Maryland. Some days we have federal leaders on there as well, but most of them are uh, state of leaders from, uh, from uh, that level of government in, in, uh, in Annapolis. So prayer blog there, uh, we call that the Free State Prayer Slate, and that'll be a reminder Especially if you're, I know we've got some folks here probably cross the river to come to church today. So if you live in Maryland, that's a ministry to your leaders as well. Uh, as we go from here, maybe you've thought of some people that live over in Maryland that you've got a connection with that you think may be interested in this type of a ministry. So please contact me with those folks. I'd love to meet as many through the state of Maryland that could have some type of impact on their leaders and we could equip them to have that type of ministry. Churches, pastors that you may know of over there, family and friends that, uh, that live there. You may be here in the Panhandle and, and you've got family over in uh, Maryland. Let me know about that if you think there would be some interest. I'd love to follow up with them. Business leaders, any folks in all of these categories, we love meeting with these folks and, and uh, sharing with them what God's doing and what he's led us to do. If you have any questions, please. Please, call me, write me, catch me before I go, whatever. I'd love to talk to you. And I really appreciate your attention to hearing about our ministry today and to the Word. Let's pray. Lord, your Word is clear. We thank you for it. Our hearts tend to wander from you. We confess that. But Lord, bring us back as we hear your Word today and impress on all of us how you look at those who lead in human government. 
and let us have our part in their lives as we fulfill your great commission. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.